with me, if you will, to Jeremiah chapter 28. Jeremiah 28, we'll begin reading in verse 1. This is God's Word. In that same year, at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fifth month of the fourth year, Hananiah, the son of Azur, the prophet from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord in the presence of the priests and all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. I will also bring back to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Then the prophet Jeremiah spoke to Hananiah the prophet in the presence of the priests and all the people who were standing in the house of the Lord. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen. May the Lord do so. May the Lord make the words that you have prophesied come true and bring back to this place from Babylon the vessels of the house of the Lord and all the exiles. Yet hear now this word that I speak in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. The prophets who preceded you and me from ancient times prophesied war, famine, and pestilence against many countries and great kingdoms. As for the prophet who prophesies peace, when the word of that prophet comes to pass then it will be known that the Lord has truly sent the prophet. Then the prophet Hananiah took the yoke bars from the neck of Jeremiah the prophet and broke them. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, Even so will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon from the neck of all the nations within two years. But Jeremiah the prophet went his way. Sometime after the prophet Hananiah had broken the yoke bars from off the neck of Jeremiah the prophet, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Go, tell Hananiah, thus says the Lord, you have broken wooden bars, but you have made in their place bars of iron. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put upon the neck of all these nations an iron yoke to serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him, for I have given to him even the beasts of the field. And Jeremiah the prophet said to the prophet Hananiah, Listen, Hananiah, the Lord has has not sent you, and you have made this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will remove you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die, because you have uttered rebellion against the Lord. In that same year, in the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we commit ourselves to hearing your word. And would you give us ears to hear? And would you cause our hearts to understand? Would you move by your Spirit's work in us that we might grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ in this time now we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, as you can tell from even just the introduction to chapter 28, this is a sequel to chapter 27. It's a continuation of the story. It continues to unfold. It's in the same year that the previous story occurred. And as we've noted before, this second half of Jeremiah that we're now in 
is presenting things in a more thematic way. And so the focus or the theme in this chapter is clearly on the false prophets. We, we see that just in reading through it. But it is uniquely focused on the idea or the specific theme of truth. Which prophet was telling the truth? It's almost like this battle is taking place there in the temple uh, between the two prophets where they're with words battling each other for the hearts and minds of the people. Each prophet had given an announcement. It was a prediction, a prophecy of what would happen in the future. But both messages opposed each other, which means one may be right or none may be right, but both can't be right, right? Because what they said was contrary to each other. So they cannot both be right. And of course, we see by the end of the chapter who was wrong, and we see it without question. Truth is that way. It is intolerant of error. We learn this early in life. I know I've quoted this song before, but it's the one that always comes to my mind when I think of this topic. Every child will learn how the asphalt burns when he takes a sharp turn too wide. Nobody gets a smooth ride. Well, we all learned it, right? Uh, You know, there's laws of physics, and there's ways of doing things that often in our childhood we learn from experience. And as we go from coloring pages that usually aren't graded as right or wrong to math, we suddenly discover that there is a right answer and a wrong answer. And when we enter adulthood, we learn things about truth that often remove our naivety, soften our roughened hearts. They jade our, our gentle spirits as we move into adulthood. We find out things like there's no such thing as a fairy tale marriage. We learn that some people have suffered trauma in life. We learn that people don't always tell the truth. Human trafficking is more common than we want to believe. The news is no longer just the reporting of events. Life isn't always exciting or fulfilling. Racism is real. Our bodies are declining. Truth has a way of wrecking our dreams and dashing our hopes. And before I depress us all any further, let me just say this. The point I'm trying to make is as hard as the truth is, knowing the truth is good. It is good that we know what is true. Because what if we thought there really were perfect marriages? How depressed would we be in our own? (laughs) Uh, You know, what if we didn't know that people had suffered trauma? How much harm would we do in in lacking compassion when we get to know other people? What if we didn't know people sometimes lie? We would be gullible, right? We would be taken advantage of. The truth is good to know, even the hard truth. It is so much better to know the truth than to live in oblivion. Now, I feel like making a caveat here, but I'm, I'm not going to. I'm going to restrain that. There is a caveat here that there is a time where we don't need to know everything or you may not need to tell everything or whatever. I don't think I need to unfold that, but I just want to mention it in passing. But for the people of Judah, they needed to know the truth. There were two versions of the future being presented, two versions of what would happen truly, and the difference for them was literally life and death. Because if they believed Hananiah, and Jeremiah was telling the truth, then what was the result of not submitting to Nebuchadnezzar's yoke? It was sword, famine, and pestilence, literally life and death. But Hananiah's message was 
It was a better message. It was a more favorable message. It was a more ideal message. It was a more appealing message. And there's nothing new under the sun. People are still choosing to believe the favorable message over the truth. And we need to know this about ourselves, that we're vulnerable to this, that we prefer hearing a more favorable message, a more favorable reality. But again, truth is intolerant of error, and so we need help to be sure that we know truth. Pilots learn to fly airplanes by their instruments because perception can sometimes be deceptive. And so no matter what the pilot sees or hears or feels, right? the gauges are there to reorient them to the truth, to verify what is true truth, as it were. And like the gauges in a cockpit, God's word is a light to our path, a lamp unto our feet to verify what is truly true. So Hananiah said one thing, Jeremiah said another thing. They both can't be right. The people of Judah needed to know what was true. And so the one left standing at the end would be proven to be the mouthpiece of God. And so in verse 1, we see that the time is the same as the previous chapter, 27. It's the sequel to this. We're not told how much time has passed, but it's the same year. And we are introduced to Hananiah in a way that we would be introduced to any prophet in Scripture. We're told where he's from, who his dad was, and we're told that he introduces himself as a prophet of the Lord. And so it's almost like Jeremiah <clears throat> excuse me, is setting up the situation for us as the reader to experience this situation the same way he did. Jeremiah, as a prophet, was not omniscient. So it's good to remember this. So when the Lord revealed things to Jeremiah, obviously that was the truth. And Jeremiah, had, as a prophet, had great insight. I think a lot of us wish that we you know, had those kind of revelations. But the rest of his life, Jeremiah wasn't omniscient. And so in this case, when he meets Hananiah, he doesn't know at the beginning whether Hananiah is a true prophet or not. And so we're set up as readers to kind of meet Hananiah in the same way, same way that, uh, that Jeremiah did. He, he tells the people he's, he's a prophet of God. And so Jeremiah is going to listen to his message. Now Gibeon, where he's from, is in the territory of Benjamin, which is the same territory that, that Jeremiah's hometown, Anathoth, is from. In fact, they're just six miles from each other. So these two men grew up in, in the same area. Uh, both of the cities that they grew up in were priestly cities. And so they may have both, we talked about this initially, Jeremiah may have been a priest, Hananiah may have been a priest as well. If not, they grew up around priests, so they were very familiar with the priestly system. And so they both had similar upbringings, they had similar experiences. And so as Jeremiah first comes to account, encounter him, it seems that he doesn't know that Hananiah uh, is what kind of prophet he is. And so he listens genuinely to the message that he gives. And verse 1 tells us that Hananiah addresses Jeremiah directly and publicly in the temple, in front of the priests and in front of all the people. This was not a private encounter. This was something that was a bit of a show. And because we know how the story ends, and we realize from his further actions that this is who Hananiah is. He's a bit of a showboat. He's a bit of a performer. He wants an audience. And this is exactly what he is doing. Now, as Jeremiah listens to the message, it doesn't take him long to realize this is not the message the Lord has given him. In fact, it's not only a different message, it is a message that is contrary to or counters the message that Jeremiah has been 
presenting that the people, uh, not only the people of Judah, remember the people of the nation surrounding them, were to submit to the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar. They were to do that if they were to live. And Hananiah here says that God has broken the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar. That's contrary. And then he gives a specific time frame, which Jeremiah has already given a much longer time frame. Claiming to speak for God, Hananiah says, Within two years I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. I will also bring back to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the exiles from Judah who went to Babylon. We already are familiar with this episode, but what he's saying here is a big deal. Because he's not only speaking for God that the reign of Nebuchadnezzar will end soon, but... He is also saying that Jeconiah, who is also Jehoiachin, you know, they had multiple names, so just keep that in mind. He was only on the throne for three months. He was removed when Nebuchadnezzar came and took that initial group to Babylon. He said that he's going to be brought back. And he calls him the king of Judah. I'm not sure how well that went over with Zedekiah uh, when he heard it, because Zedekiah was currently the king. So in this statement, Hananiah is challenging the reigning king, Zedekiah, He's challenging the king of Babylon who installed Zedekiah on the throne. And he is challenging Jeremiah as a prophet uh, who said that Jeconiah would never return to the land of Judah. And so at this point, it is so obvious that Hananiah is in opposition to Jeremiah that we expect Jeremiah to just kind of lash out at him. Just go, go for the jugular, you know. And what does Jeremiah do? Jeremiah responds to him in front of all the people there in the temple and says, Amen. May the Lord do so. You see, Jeremiah would have loved for this to be true. Every Jew in Judah would have loved for this to be true. No one wanted to see the exile stay any longer in Babylon. No one wanted to see the elements of the temple remain there any longer. No one wanted to see Nebuchadnezzar extend his rule. In other words, at this point the speech, the prophecy that Hananiah is presenting no longer passes the smell test for Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, as much as he would love for it to be true, recognizes that this is not what the Lord has revealed to him. And so after agreeing that this, while if it happened, would be wonderful, he then gives him the warning. He tells Hananiah that his prophecy is quite different from the prophets of old who, he says, prophesied war, famine, and pestilence against many countries and great kingdoms. But then he says, as for the prophet who prophesies peace, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, then it will be known that the Lord has truly sent the prophet. That was the standard in Deuteronomy to determine if a prophet was true or not. If, If what they said came true, they were a true prophet. And if what they said didn't come true, they were a false prophet deserving of death. And so here he is cautioning Hananiah, but he's doing it in front of all the people. So it really becomes a message to the people of Judah for them to be discerning, to know, is this someone who's speaking the truth or not? In our own day, we have our own version of such prophets. We have preachers who say things like, my God would never send anyone to hell. Or they say, the God I believe in wants us all to be happy, so you should do whatever makes you happy. Or they might say, there are many ways to God, not just one. You see, we have our own version of modern-day peace prophets, and what they have to say, like Hananiah, people actually want to hear. People want to hear, do what makes you feel good. People want to hear, there are no consequences for your actions. People want to hear, don't worry about getting things right, just follow your heart. 
in the end, we'll all be okay. But it, like Hananiah's message, doesn't pass the smell test either, nor does it agree with the ancient message from the Creator that all the way back, Genesis 3.15, sin enters the world and and, and he says there, there's a problem that needs to be dealt with. Sin must be atoned for. Sin must be forgiven. Well, Hananiah doesn't receive the message with much grace because he responds by breaking the yoke from the neck of Jeremiah. And we're not given a lot of detail, but I can tell you that this would have been a, an act that required force and it would have therefore have have involved violence. This was not a a peaceful, let me go up and remove the straps from around your neck kind of action. It would have been something that probably caused uh, Jeremiah some kind of of injury. Uh, It would likely have been. And Hananiah is, is, is just putting on a show. He's doubling down on his own prophecy. He isn't going to budge. And he's putting on a show for the people because he loves the praise of man more than the praise of God or he wouldn't have concocted this whole idea in the first place. And how does Jeremiah respond? Verse 11, Jeremiah the prophet went his way. In a sense, Jeremiah turns the other cheek. He decides not to engage, not to respond, not to uh, show violence in the face of violence. And he did this not because he felt defeated, but because at this point now he understands that Hananiah had not simply rejected him, Hananiah had rejected the Lord. And so Jeremiah would not cast his pearls before swine, so to speak. And instead, he just walked away. And I think in this, there is wisdom for us all to consider that there are times to speak up and to speak out and to confront, but there are also times to walk away. And we see in the life of Jesus, in the gospel accounts, he did both. For us, it may be an ongoing conflict with a neighbor or a family member. It may be a continuing argument that you seem to be having with the newscaster on your TV screen. Um, it may be an ideological disagreement that you are having with a coworker. Pray for wisdom to know when it's appropriate to stand up and confront and when it's time to turn and to walk away. When you are casting your pearls before swine, remember the words that Jesus gave to the disciples that if a town did not receive them, they were to take their sandals off and shake the dust off their sandals and go on and move on. And there are times in life that we are to do this. Well, we're not told how long Jeremiah was gone, but it says that sometime after the word of the Lord came to him. Now, I mentioned earlier, and I've said this before, Jeremiah wasn't omniscient. He didn't know everything. So his life was a life of faith. Yes, he did get special revelation for the prophecy, but there were many times and many experiences in Jeremiah's life when the word of the Lord didn't come to him. And so he's just walking by faith. And so in this time, he's waiting. He's waiting for the Lord to, in a sense, vindicate him, to give him some clarity or to do something to show that what he was saying was the truth. And that's what the Lord does. He comes and he speaks to him and he says, Go tell Hananiah, you have broken, verse 13, wooden bars, but you have made in their place bars of iron. And note here that God puts the blame on Hananiah for the, for the iron yoke. Because of his lies, for the double-down effect of what was going to happen, now this iron yoke is going to be placed on, on the people, on the nation of Judah. You have refused to submit in obedience. Now I will force you with an iron will. I'm sorry, I know this is aggravating. Florida allergies. So the Lord then reiterates through the prophet Jeremiah that he... The Lord, Yahweh, 
is the one who gives the nations to do as he, he pleases. And in this case, he has given the nations to Nebuchadnezzar. He's already determined that, already delivered that message. Even the animals, he says. I'm giving the whole shebang over to Nebuchadnezzar. So don't listen to Hananiah. Jeremiah's first message was the truth. It will come to pass. And so he then gives Hananiah this rebuke. Listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, and you have made this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will remove you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die, because you have, uh, you have uttered rebellion against the Lord. What a heart-wrenching, sad, and sobering message to, 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 to speak to this, this one who is claiming to speak on behalf of the Lord. And in here, we see uh, a warning to, to all of us. Uh, that we would not cause another to stumble the way Hannah and I did. Jesus taught temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. James writes, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And the warnings are strong because the claim is to speak for God. And so the only one who, who, who should teach, or the, I should say the one who teaches, the only way they should teach is if they are standing on the Word of God, if they are proclaiming God's Word. So this is not something to be flippant about. And Hananiah had concocted this own, his own message. It was received by the masses. It was eaten up because people love to have their ears tickled. But it was all a lie. And it would cost him his life, and a few months later he was indeed dead. And with his death then, the truth is made unequivocally clear. Jeremiah told the truth. Hananiah was a liar. The truth matters. It always does. It matters in the realm of politics and kingdoms in this case, but it matters in bridge building. It matters in flying airplanes. It matters in relationships, doesn't it? It matters when you buy a house. It matters in the realm of our existence and the reason for our existence. The truth matters always, and it matters in all ways. A few weeks back, we compared, as we looked at the trial of Jeremiah, we compared it to the trial of Jesus. And in the trial of Jesus, we read where he said to Pilate, For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate's question back to him is, What is truth? And then he walked outside. And he said, I find no guilt in him. And he washed his hands of that whole thing. Earlier in the ministry of Jesus, he comforted his disciples with these words, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. A lot of times, the way, the truth, and the life is separated from that broader context of what Jesus was actually saying to his disciples. And I love Thomas's interaction. I mean, the disciples were, like, like, we can relate to them, just kind of oblivious. Like, wh- wh- where are you going? I mean, you know, how do we know the way? 
And Jesus responds to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. And for him to claim that he is the truth is huge. It is exclusive. It is intolerant of other theories. This does not mean that Christ's likeness is intolerant or that he was intolerant. We see in the gospel accounts that Jesus continually showed mercy and gave graciously and kindness to many. But not in this general, weak, kind of milquetoast way that Jesus is so often betrayed in which he ignores the righteousness and the holiness of the Trinity. Jesus preached that not one letter of the law would pass away because of the word of, of God stands forever. Jesus said that he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And when it came to being made righteous, he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Now, we must be mindful that the world opposes such a message, but this shouldn't cause us to cower or to be fearful. See, the world prefers a message of comfort, peace, peace, even if it isn't true. They prefer the language of Hananiah. Don't fall for having your ears tickled. You and I are sinners. Those sins have offended a God who is holy. He is holy above all in righteousness and glory. And we need to have what we have done dealt with. An offense to Him, we need to have it removed and washed clean. And this is why Jesus came. To die in our place and to deal with our greatest problem. To be the way for us to be saved. To be the truth to make us right. And to be life for us who are spiritually dead. And we all know, deep down, the world is not the way it's supposed to be. We know that the world is flawed, that there are real problems of evil. We know that there is peace that is missing. Not everyone enjoys peace. Many, many live in fear, filled with anxiety. We know that injustice is, really exists, that many are oppressed. We've all experienced being wronged by others. We've experienced the subsequent loss and grief as a result of being sinned against. And we all know deep down in our own hearts that we too have lied, stolen, been unkind, and wronged others. And because of this, we are under a heavy yoke of sin that we cannot break ourselves. We need someone to remove it, someone to smash it, and someone to rid us of it forever. And in the table that is spread before us, Jesus demonstrates that he has done just that. Through the breaking of his body and through the shedding of his blood, he bore our sinful yoke, removing the penalty of damning sin, breaking the power of reigning sin, and erasing the presence of all sin in our future. Yet he doesn't just remove the yoke of sin and rid us of it. He gives us his yoke, which he calls gentle and light. His yoke brings blessing and guidance and help and complete relief in the life to come. So come to the table of truth. Come to the table of life. Come to the table of our Lord and taste and see that He is good. His love endures forever. Let's pray. Father, You, uh, you are good. And we see this most clearly in the life and death of Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Because without Jesus, our lives would be futilely ruined by sin. We have no escape 
We have no way out. A yoke that is unbreakable. And yet Christ did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He took that upon Himself and bore it in our place. And He shattered that yoke so that it no longer has that reigning power over us. We are no longer under the penalty of it. And one day we will know the freedom of the presence of sin altogether. And we long for that day. Would you cause us to grow in thankfulness? And Lord, cause us to be assured of the forgiveness of our sins. I pray that each person here who is trusting in Christ will be deeply assured that as far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed our sins and iniquities from us. And Lord, for anyone here who does not yet trust you, would you draw them to yourself today? Would you cause them to hear the words of the Savior who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, you may be also. Lord, would you draw people to yourself today, we pray. And as we move forward in this worship service to the table, would you take this and minister this means of grace into our lives and make it effective for us and for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.